In this episode, the first one, I shine a spotlight on the Nickelodeon series Renford Rejects and speak to two members of the cast, Bill Homewood and Tom Weller, about their experiences on the show. That's all to come on the 90s and Noughties podcast, a podcast focusing on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. My name's Jamie Dyer. How's it going? Before we get into the show, let me tell you of the ways you can contact the podcast. Email 90sandnaughties at outlook.com. Tweet 90sandnaughties UK on Twitter or check out the Facebook page 90sandnaughties UK. It feels right to be starting this brand new podcast with an episode celebrating the Renford Rejects. It was one of my favorite shows growing up and upon reflection has definitely shaped my life. The adventures of Jason, Ben, Stuart and co really struck a chord with me and I was once told by a university lecturer that shows aren't really about their setting, but rather the themes that lay underneath. So I've been thinking about this, and this is what I've come up with. The Renford Rejects may have had football at its heart, but I think it was about much more than that. I felt the show really focused on identity. After all, it's a group of teenagers who are turned away because they don't conform to perceived norms. For example, Bruno de Grady, a.k.a. Barry Grade, played by Paul Paris, culturally identified himself as Italian despite being born in England. Ben Phillips, played by Charlie Rowland, was a goalkeeper who loved poetry. And Robin Walker, played by Holly Davidson, was a gifted footballer who was turned away by Basil Stoker for being a girl in what he called a man's game. Hey, now we're on the subject. Even Elvis fan Eddie McAvoy, played by Alex Norton, is a guy totally out of his time as he ran the Rejects hangout, Graceland, with his wife Priscilla. I really identified with all of these characters and I know that many others did as well. Anyway, I realise that for those that are completely unaware with this show... Um, The last few minutes probably haven't made any sense. So let's go back to the beginning and I'll give you a very brief overview. Renford Rejects was a teen comedy that ran for four series, spanning 52 episodes between 1998 and 2001 on Nickelodeon. It followed the lives of a group of teenagers who'd failed to get into their school football team, so they started their own five-a-side. 
What followed was a marvellous mix of clever dialogue, a great soundtrack, likeable characters, and a whole host of guest stars. Speaking of guest stars, this brings us quite nicely to our guests for this week. Later, we'll hear from Tom Weller, who played wannabe hard man Terry Stoker across all four series of the show. But first, we hear from the man who played his father, the terrifying Basil Stoker. I recently had the chance to chat to actor Bill Homewood via WhatsApp. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's a sentence I never thought I would say. Um, My first question was fairly straightforward. How did he get the job on the Renford rejects? I think my agent will have called me at home and said, you got an interview on Thursday or something. I remember going along for an interview, I think actually at the Spotlight offices in Leicester Square or just off Leicester Square. I think that's where I went for this one and popped into a room and chatted to a director and a writer, um, Stephen Baywall and Chris um, Wilson. And I think there might have been a third person in there. By the time I left the room, I remember thinking I'd got the part, which you don't, very often you're wrong when you think you've got a part. But I think we were more or less by the end of the conversation talking about how we were going to portray Stoker. Um, So I I kind of knew. That's as much as I can remember. I remember immediately they showed me a bit of script, immediately um, coming up with Stoker as I did him, which was an amalgamation of several gym teachers that I'd had at school. I was born in 1946, which is 73 years ago, and um, therefore, at school, all my gym teachers, well, all my teachers pretty much, my male teachers anyway, had been in the military, in the army, and of course, gym teachers who'd been in the army were a, a special breed, a bit sergeant majorish, and a bit fierce, And I based Stoker on a sort of cross-section of gym teachers I'd had over the gym and games teachers I'd had over the years. Even the walk I did, the uh, Stoker running along the touchline, I had a football teacher at uh, junior school who used to run along the touchline like that, picking up his knees, uh, encouraging us to pick up our knees when we ran. And uh, the whole tradition of never passing backwards, always passing forwards, always doubling your boots before the match and uh, basing everything you do on the style of play that Sir Stanley Matthews was famous for in his day, all that stuff. Because the, the writer Chris Wilson trusted me with, um, with this, what I would get from uh, the office was a, a script in which my part was, my replies and things were just like a line or two. And then I developed them in the style of Stoker uh, or, you know, a list of, of negatives. He, he never said, that's true. He would always say, that I not, never not true and, uh, and such like. So I, would, I had a, a, a little bet on with the writer each week that I could add another negative to one of my sentences. And the maximum I got up to was 14 negatives cancelling each other out in one sentence i think that was the longest ever and i think that was an episode on a beach in sardinia 
anyway, uh, my memories of the show were all like that. It was a hilarious time. The part was hilarious, and uh, and the um, locations were fun, and we all got on very well. It was a good laugh. Yes. Well, it always looks like you're having such great fun. Your character was actually quite intense because sometimes you're looking people straight in the eye and and things like that. Do you think your your training uh, kind of helped you with that? <laughs> My training, well, mm, ah, I tell you, if you've done a lot of theatre work and then you do screen work, and I had done a lot of screen work by then, um, so I knew this already. But you do learn not to make big wide arm gestures because you're going to force your cameraman uh, to step back and to pull out and you're not going to get the close-ups. So you learn to be intense and small um, physically, but to put that intensity into your face. And I saw Stoker as a furious man. Uh, He was furious with the girliness of football, the very idea of girls playing football, uh, the very idea of passing backwards, the very idea of fancy, flashy trainer-type football boots and so on and so on. All this enraged him. And so he was more or less constantly in a a rage. And um, he and um, Terry... His, uh, his thuggish son, uh, were um, actually a, a, a complicated, vengeful and angry couple of people. They did one episode where I think somebody came round to the house, uh, Stoker's house, and I, if I remember right, I've only just remembered this, Jamie, I think they put an apron on me, and when I came to the door, I was evidently cooking. I think it was a, a stroke of genius by the writer, Uh, That was a side of Stoker that was never developed beyond that one scene, but um, it was very good fun. I think that's what was great about that show, is certainly early on, um, for the main characters, there were kind of two worlds, weren't there? There was sort of being inside that cafe and also being on the football field, and they did a very good job of, of splitting those two worlds up and making them collide occasionally. Yeah, and actually, while we're being kind of intellectual about it, they they introduced a third world too, which was the fantasy world in which occasionally um, we traveled back through time. For instance, when Stoker became Basilus Stokerus or something, Emperor of Rome, and that was the episode in which uh, Stoker was thrown by a giant catapult which his son had accidentally pulled the lever to operate when Stoker was sitting in it. And in fact, I was very badly injured shooting that scene because they mistakenly operated the catapult when I was sitting in it. Um, It's a long story, but that's exactly what happened. And I was thrown through the air. I was on stage in London in Phantom of the Opera at the same time, and I was filming in Isha, and I was severely injured. I had um, uh, a fractured skull, uh, damage to my spine, and so on. It was an awful accident. I was thrown quite a long way and quite high up and landed headfirst on a a tree that had been laid on its side. Uh, And I should really remember the episode for that but in fact it was one of the funniest things i've ever filmed and i even that episode which in which i required hospital help afterwards and and a long period of rehabilitation actually uh, even that episode i remember and and it makes me laugh to think of it the idea was um the uh, the writer went off into a complete flight of fantasy and um, suddenly uh, uh, the history of how football developed and all of that 
led them to, to Rome. Another time, uh, we were cowboys, and Stoker was uh, Il Santoro, and it was a sort of homage stroke send-up of the Magnificent Seven. I think that probably is the best episode of all. But, but again, uh, the license to be very, very silly uh, was never very far away. And, uh, and I think probably as the episodes went on, uh, we all got madder and madder. I, I really, it was a very funny show, wasn't it? I can agree. And certainly at the beginning, even though it wasn't quite as overt as that, there were still little fantasy elements in there, weren't there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, well, establishing my character, I think in the very first or second episode, I've forgotten the name, uh, Bruno Di Gradi, Bruno Di Gradi, uh, the, the, who had pretensions as an Italian footballer, said, uh, but senior uh, football is an art or something like that. Yeah. And I and Stoke went mad. I still remember the line, an art, an art. Football, my son, is not an art. It is a man's game. And uh, honestly... I would deliver that line and lines like that entirely seriously, straight into the face of the other protagonist. But believe me, after, as soon as they shouted cut, we were all on the floor rolling about. It's extremely funny and it must be quite difficult for the other actors when you're being so deadpan to keep a straight face. <laughs> but the director uh, once said to me when we were actually filming the episode in Sardinia, which was the Wild Wild Renford, I think the episode was called. When we were filming that episode, the director said to me one day, you really don't care what you look like, do you? It's true, Jamie. There's no room for vanity when you're doing comedy. Stoker was ridiculous, and I liked playing him. And I liked playing him one-dimensional, too. I didn't want to make out that deep down inside he was a softy or a nice man or, or you know, that he collected stamps or something. I was very happy to play him as a one-dimensionally nasty man, uh, uh, rather similar to several of my sports and gym teachers that I'd encountered in my childhood. It comes across extremely well. Well, thank you. My wife's an actress, Estelle Kohler, and uh, Estelle was um, a leading lady at the RSC for well over 40 years, and uh, we were comparing notes uh, uh, quite recently, actually, for a, a little joint interview we did for something, uh, we both realized that we had, each of us had made entire careers out of playing villains. Even in Shakespeare, I played the baddies. I once played um, Orsino in Twelfth Night, who's essentially a goodie, although he's a bit of a sop. And it was my worst ever performance. Yes, Patrick Stewart was directing that. And Patrick one day said, you play the guitar, don't you, Bill? And I said, yes. He said, why don't you play the guitar in the part then? It would help you, give you something to do with your hands. I was so bad at playing a nice man, an ordinary person. I did play a few later on. I got better at it as time went by. But I always went straight to the heart of villains and never had any problems at all, either in rehearsal or on stage or on screen. Referring back to the the rejects, your on screen relationship with um, with Tom Weller, who played your your son, you had such a great rapport, didn't you? Yes. Oh, yeah. I got on, Tom and I got on very well. He's quite a methody actor, uh, or was then, and I'm not at all a methody sort of actor. He he tends to come in from underneath, and I tend to come in from above. And my experience throughout my career has been that those two sorts of actors 
work brilliantly together. I find it easier in a way to work with method actors than I do to work with other actors who aren't so methody like me. And Tom and I really got on very well. He was uh, quietly thuggish and I was noisily thuggish. And, uh, and I think also he did a very clever thing, which was, I think from time to time, a sort of shame, <laughs> a sort of shame crossed uh, Terry's face. <laughs> I used to see it from time to time. Uh, was one of the ingredients that used to make me laugh when I watched the episodes. Yeah, I did. I got on very well with Tom. We're in touch now, thanks to Twitter, actually, because of the Twitter interest, the ongoing Twitter interest in the Renford Rejects. It could do with, with being revived, couldn't it? People love it when they see it to this day. I, actually, I've been lucky. Uh, I, uh, I won't uh, dwell on this because I know we're talking about the Rejects, but in the 80s, I was on the Adventure Game uh, as a regular, but also before that, I was on Multicolored Swap Shop and Saturday Superstore as an occasional uh, studio guest. And all of those are still uh, regarded as television cream, children's television cream, I mean, classic TV. Um, and, uh, and although I did lots of other things, guesting on Rainbow and, and uh, many other shows, oh, I did a thing called So You Want to Be Top for BBC Children as well with Gary Wilmot. I did lots, but the ones that are remembered, of them, the most recent is Renford Reject, which I think has almost achieved cult status now, hasn't it? It really was very, very good telly, wasn't it? Oh, extremely, yes. And, and um, I was an avid watcher when I was younger, and you sort of fall out of it, and then you discover it again. It, it's kind of that thing people keep rediscovering. Certainly on Twitter, the amount of love on there for the show is, ama is amazing, isn't it? I know. I know. With, with anything, almost anything to do with rejects, I do, I, I do in, as you know, in my Stoker character, simply because the joke goes on, I still, it still makes me laugh. And I've quite enjoyed people who know me as a poet or as a classical actor. I've quite enjoyed that moment when they discover me on Twitter and realize I was Stoker. Obviously, they immediately follow, and then I kind of lead them on a bit with, with a bit of Stoker going on about Stanley Matthews or, or whatever. I think it's extraordinary that 22 years later, I still am as amused by it as I was when I did it. The combination of writing, directing, casting, all made into a magical formula, really. I was a, a little bit intimidated um, beforehand, uh, thinking, I'm going to interview this guy, you know, this is Basil Stoker. To, to me, I've, I was slightly younger than the characters in, um, in that show. To me, you know, you were terrifying. <laughs> Did you think I was going to say, pull your socks up, lad? Exactly. One thing I wanted to, to kind of draw upon was the guest stars. Do you have any memories of the guest stars that you worked with on The Rejects? Um, I do. Um, and now you've got me struggling to remember names. Um, there was that fantastic, very high camp art critic, what was Brian Sewell uh, from the Evening Standard, a completely brilliant, very waspish, completely brilliant journalist and immensely knowledgeable uh, about uh, the arts and so on, and whom one knew as a sort of po-faced uh, television arts pundit. And also he had been through a relationship uh, indirectly involved in the blunt 
uh, spy scandal. And so he was a he was a, a, a fascinating man. He's dead now. But anyway, who would have thought that he would come on to Redford Rejects and be as entertaining uh, as an actor, if you like, as he was? Complete surprise. And I know that the guys, I didn't have scenes with him, but I was there during his filming. I know the guys had a very big laugh with him. I think um, he needed, uh, actually needed controlling almost um, because he was prepared to do just about anything. And then there was the World Cup team. Of course, the 66 team uh, were there. I did uh, film with them. I've got no particular memories except it was um, a, a day or two because I wasn't playing. I was just yelling from the touchline. Um, but it was a, a day or two of, of quite nice... Uh, 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 quite nice, enjoyable filming. Uh, Martin Keogh was the one I spent most time talking to of all those guys, uh, a great fullback, of course. And I think he kind of got the joke, too. I think uh, he was, um, he, he kind of got Stoker. As a matter of fact, I think it worked out that the boys worked much more with the celebrities than Stoker. Um, Stoker, generally speaking, if Stoker was, a, was in an episode, Nine times out of ten, the episode was about Stoker. And because I, I wasn't in all the episodes, out of every 12, I would have been in eight or nine, I think. Something like that, maybe nine. So there were whole episodes without me. And several of those featured um, celebrities. When there were my episodes, there, there were fewer of those sort of invited stars. Just, just a few times it happened. There was that um, guy, Rhino who was um, one of the world's strongest men people, I think. And I remember him rocking up in, a, in some sort of massive four-wheel drive thing uh, with a number plate, which I think it was RH1NO or something. And actually, he was good fun. There was a bloke who did animatronics who was very famous for doing playing a gorilla in some of those big gorilla films mm. in Hollywood. And we did an episode with him in which I was in a cage with him, but I was convulsed with laughter nearly all the time uh, uh, with him, I remember. I can't remember his name. He was quite brilliant. Yeah, so that was good fun. Yeah, that's another... You're, you're right, actually, Jamie, that's another thing that marked the show out. It was extraordinarily flexible, if you think about it, uh, that the show could move from being a vehicle for celebrities being very silly to mock history, to modern football ethics, to, you know, uh, to training and so on. A very, very interesting show. And then there was the central girl. Uh, they had, well, I was on the show, well, I was always on the show, but they had three different lead girls in the, in the team. The wonderful Lucy Punch, of course, went on to great things. Holly Davidson is a very well-known trainer now. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the other girl. She was very good too. It, it, it was a good gang of actors. Yes, it was. And um, just to pick up on something that you said earlier about uh, Stoker, the fact that when you were in an episode, it was most likely about you or something to do with you. Before the interview, I thought I'll, I'll brush up on a couple of episodes just kind of to see very you-centric episodes and thought well there's there was an episode where um you worked quite extensively with martin delaney basically you're worried about him you decide to get him onto the razors team and he has to play against the rejects he then kind of fakes being bad 
and you end up losing the game. And there's a very interesting scene where you're trying to talk him into joining you. He won't join you. And you're practically in his face. I don't know whether you remember this at all, but, uh, you know, the intensity of that moment and the way that they use the music to kind of make it even more intense um, was extremely memorable. Well, you're describing something I can imagine um, very well, um, but I, I don't remember that moment. But I can tell you this, that Martin, like me, always on his lines, always on his place, always ready, the consummate professional. So all of my work with Martin was a pleasure. I, I quite often had passing encounters with his character, of course. I, there was an episode when uh, we had a confrontation. Uh, I, I can tell you, I don't know what the camera was on at that moment, but I can tell you uh, when it went on to him, he would have been as in my face as I was in his. Uh, he was uh, jolly good to work with. Of course, he's a, a busy actor these days, uh, and that was a very good start for him, that show, I know. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry that I don't remember that specific uh, that specific moment. Damn, it's 22 years ago. I think it's I think it's amazing what talking to you has brought back, as a matter of fact, and it just shows what fun the show was. That uh, it's so indelibly in my mind still. I don't blame you for not remembering everything because um, every there was like four seasons. Uh, or four series, as we used to say, before the world got Americanized, and uh, there, there were thirteen episodes or so in each series. That's a lot of episodes. It is, and and as I did eight or nine in each series, um, that's a lot of episodes too. So they they tend to go into a jumble. But also, there's the fact that since that, I've been on dozens and dozens of television shows on location and in studio and so on. They do tend to jumble up in your mind a little bit, and um, that was twenty. 22 years ago, but I think I probably remember more about rejects than I do about most work that I've ever done. To bring us quite nicely to a conclusion, um, what have you been doing quite recently? Well, I live in the south of France. I rather cut my own throat with regard to the London theatre, but I'd been in, when we moved to France early uh, in the in the 20s, the 2000s, yeah. uh, when we flew full, full time here, I kind of severed my relationship with the London stage scene. I'd been on and off in the West End for years by then, and I didn't mind that because I was doing more and more television. So since we've moved here, I've uh, gone back to England to do a few things, but I do a lot of writing. And I publish, I write as a poet. I've published four collections, uh, I think it is, uh, since I moved to France. And I published them uh, first on Facebook. I've got um, a page, Bill Homewood's Poem a Week by Me for You, or one word. And on that uh, page, I publish each new poem. And when I get to enough to put into a collection, then they get published in collections, uh, which is about once a year, once every couple of years, that sort of thing. So I'm very busy with that. I've just finished recording um, a, a great British classic, Le Motte d'Arthur, uh, by Mallory for Naxos Audiobooks. And in fact, in the last few years, Jamie, I've been recording, in fact, 
over the last 20 years, I've been recording for uh, Naxos audiobooks, uh, great British and French classics. But in the last few years, since I've been solely in France, um, I seem to have specialized in great French classics in translation because they obviously need an actor who can slip in and out of the lingo because of uh, all the French names, proper names, and so on in the great books by Hugo and Duma, things like uh, Les Miserables and the, and, and the Hunchback of Notre Dame and uh, the, the Count of Monte Cristo and so on, which I've recorded. Um, I have done British classics as well in recent times. Um, but anyway, I've just finished this mammoth book, The Death of King Arthur, Le Mort d'Arthur, which is um, the sort of original, certainly the original assembly of the legends of King Arthur, which led to all the Knights of the Round Table stuff, movies, television series, other books, and so on, uh, in the centuries since. And I had to record it in the original translation, which is in... Uh, Middle English. So there was quite a lot of research involved in that one. And I literally finished that uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it's now with the sound editor and Naxos who are producing it. And I think it's going to come on the market in November. I've actually, I should make it clear, Jamie, I've got a recording studio here in France. And having spent many years in recording studios for BBC and various commercial enterprises in Britain before I moved here, I'm used to studio discipline and so on. And so Naxos entrusted me with um, doing the recordings here. I have a recording studio set to the same standards as if I were in a studio in London. And I record the books here. And then thanks to the incredible um, modern technology, I can get my recordings to them via Dropbox or various other means we transfer or whatever. And they do the edit in London and hey presto, and, and the records are on the shelves. That and my poetry are the two ways uh, that I fill my time here. Before we end this, um, you don't have to answer this, but obviously, what do you think your character in The Rejects, what do you think Basil Stoker would be doing now? <laughs> it makes me laugh. What a good question. If he were 20 years older now, I think he would be sitting in his house in wherever he lived. I think when we filmed, he was in sort of northwest London somewhere. Um in his terraced house, and there would be a few cups on the wall. I think he would still be dubbing his, <laughs> dubbing his boots. I bet you he'd be mixed up with the local scouts or something. And um, I think he'd be, he'd probably be down the park uh, with a boys' football team of a Sunday morning, and uh, and so on. I expect he'd be very opinionated. I'm pretty sure that he would be pro pro Brexit. Um, and I don't know what he would make of of uh, COVID-19. He'd probably think we were all sissies for not going out and facing it. <laughs> quite, quite possibly, yeah. And I think he would be he would be entirely bald. <laughs> he was pretty bald then. Don't you think Stoker by now would have concocted his memoirs? <laughs> quite possibly, yeah. He might call it a man's game. Yeah. <laughs> Actor Bill Homewood discussing his life in and out of the Renford rejects. 
It was great to talk to him about his role as Stoker, and I'm still astonished how he's able to slip into character so easily. And just as an aside here, I talked to Bill for some time, much longer than the interview included here, so please do look out for other non-reject parts of the interview on future editions. You're listening to the 90s and Noughties UK podcast with me, Jamie Dyer. And now let's draw our attention to Terry Stoker, the son of Basil, the injured Stuart, in the first episode of the show, then spent the rest of the series playing the hard man to just about everyone. Well, everyone except Robin, Sue and Mia, of course. It was a thrill to catch up with actor Tom Weller, who, I think you'll agree, sounds no different to back in the day. As with Bill, I started the interview by asking him how he got the job. Oh, we're going back a few years now. Um, my first, I, I, I remember uh, receiving an audition um, from my agent at the time, and um, I received a script. I don't remember the first audition, if I'm being brutally honest. It was probably in a room, a darkened room somewhere in London. Um, but I certainly remember the, the callback, and because on the callback we had to play football. If I remember rightly, I, I just played. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty decent footballer, but I, I, I played terribly. And I thought I'd blown any chance of, of getting the part because I played so awfully. But as luck would have it, about two weeks after that audition, I, I, I received the news that I got the part, which, I was, um, which was fabulous. You play Terry Stoker in the series, in which you work alongside um, Bill Homewood quite a lot as, as uh, his son. How was, how was that um, working with Bill? Yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, Bill's, Bill's great. He's, he's, uh, he's a, a true thespian. He's been around the block a few times. And um, I'm, I can honestly say I, I learned a lot from him, actually. It was, um, it was really good. Um, it's always nice to, um, as an actor, it's always nice to um, sort of rub off um, on, or, or sort of let let other people rub off on you, especially people that have been doing it for as long as Bill has. So it was uh, it was great, and Bill was great, and um, we all had a great time. It always looks like you're having a good time on screen because I th- I think um, all the actors kind of gelled very well, didn't they? It was a very funny show. Yeah, I think that's because we gelled very well. Um, off camera as well we, we probably had a few sort of bumps in the road along the way but all in all we all got on incredibly well we pretty much all lived together um, we all had a house in I think it was Kendall Green or somewhere like that and um, we pretty much all stayed together we all went out together we all socialized together um, so you know that when when you've got that sort of togetherness outside it, it just comes off very well in front of the camera um, and we were all young and hungry and laughing all the time and you know happy to sort of try new things and try and make it as funny as as possible um and i think i think that's why you know i've still got some great friends from the show um roger who played uh vinny we sort of became best friends during it and are still great friends now although he lives in la so i don't see him as much as i'd like but um he really is a top guy and i made a friend for life um, with him so yeah i think that's probably the reason why it came across so good on the camera you know i didn't know he lived in la that seems like the perfect place for him doesn't it if you know his character absolutely because let me tell you that man has got some serious talent 
not only is he a fabulous actor, he's also a tremendous dancer, a singer. And what we used to do is when we, we, we all used to go out to clubs and stuff in London and we would use Roger as sort of the bait. So we would send him into the middle, let him start dancing, let the sort of crowd gather around and then, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> use him to um, attract the female attention, as it were. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I don't know. <laughs> It was a long time ago and we were young. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's great stuff. And that, that's the thing. You, you were all, it was a very young cast, wasn't it? Yeah, very, yeah, very young. I think, um, I, think I, I was 16, I think, when I got the part. I know, ja, ja, um, sorry, not James, Martin Delaney. He was 16 because we actually went to um, the same secondary school together for, for a little while. Um, Roger was 15, I think. But then I think Matthew Leach, um, the guy who went on to play uh, the, the, he was in Band of Brothers, I think he was about 24. And so was Paul Paris, who played uh, Bruno de Gradi. He was 24, I think. So they were the oldest, but again, still young. And, you know, we, we, we all got on like a house on fire. We really did. It was great. Made friends for life doing that show. Aside from the cast as well, it had some great guest stars, didn't it? Oh, man. Some, some absolute crackers, really. Some great actors like... Um, uh, Alexi Sale, uh, I, oh, I, they, they sort of escaped me now, but also some some tremendous footballers from from past and 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 at that time present. You know, Martin Keown, uh, Gianfranco Zola, but then we, we played with the some of the uh, the winners of the 1966 World Cup uh, team, and that really was, you know, I, I don't I don't get starstruck very easily, but I was on that day. Football has been such a massive part of my life. And the 1966 World Cup, I mean, I was born in 1980, but it was still, it's always been talked about. And it was, it was something, something that I've watched so many times. And to have Gordon Banks, uh, Jeff Cohen, Martin Peters, and of course the great Jeff Hurst was, was a real treat and, and, and an honour to play with. And they were so great as well. Um, you never would have known that, you know, all, in, in fact, I would say every, every sort of football star that we had on the show were, were, were lovely. There was no sort of prima donnas amongst them they were all really really nice and harry redknapp he made a, a guest appearance on the show and he was he, just as you see him on the tv just a, a down-to-earth lovely fella really really nice great you say football is a massive part of your life which which um club do you support i support Leighton orient for my sins but um I, and i you know i, I well he, you sort of, I think you, you, you just support the, the, the first team you, you go and see, don't you, usually? And my dad took me to see a Leighton Orient match. And, and then I ended up getting a season ticket there. And, and you know, I, although I don't go as much these days, um, I, I just, I love the club. And, and we had some, we, we, we had one of the best seasons we'd ever had recently when we got promoted from the um, National League. And then tragically, we lost our manager, Justin Edinburgh, which was... Um, one of the saddest days I've I've ever had, if I'm brutally honest with you. He was such an amazing uh, person at the club, and he will never be forgotten. It was amazing. But yeah, Leighton Orient fan um, since since the beginning, really. So there you are. When you were doing uh, the Renford Rejects, it was a massive time for football, wasn't it? It was really on the up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, football in this country is is the biggest um, played and watched sport, and. But at the time, yeah, it was massive. It was absolutely huge. And I think they, they couldn't have picked a better time to, to bring out a football show, really. Um, I mean, I, when, it, when we were filming it, I, I just didn't realise how big a show it was going to be. I really didn't. I just thought it was going to be a sort of have a little slot on Nickelodeon. And it ended up being on the big breakfast on Channel 4 as well. But I really didn't realise how 
biggest show it actually was going to be and it, it really was and and it's still on tv today which is incredible if you're up at sort of two or three o'clock in the morning <laughs> um and you're watching nickelodeon then feel free to, to give it a watch but it's, it's just incredible that it's lasted that long you know well not just on tv but it seems that in the minds of of everybody that saw it it's still very um very much present isn't it there's a massive social media gathering for it yeah I, which is which is it's crazy really um you know, after all that time. But I, I guess I guess maybe it was because, I think, there, what was that other program? Was it Jesse's Giants or something? I think that was a few years before. But after that, there wasn't really any sort of football-based programs until the Dream Team came out, um, which actually um, Roger was in, Vinny. He, he, he had a part in the Dream Team. And I, I'm not sh- I might be wrong in this, but I think Martin Delaney might have made an appearance in there. I'm not sure. Um, but until then, it was the only sort of, football-based program and it, it, it sort of it went across all the ages really it was on Nickelodeon so it was essentially a kids program but it was you know if I used to I, I used to go out at, um you know to pubs and clubs and stuff I would get recognized all the time by people of my own age so I guess it's you know people just enjoyed it for the football side of it well yes and there was plenty of of comedy along the way I've always wanted to ask this really when you were filming those football scenes there was always like a match at the end of the episode was it choreographed or was it just literally off the hoof so some some of it was choreographed and some of it wasn't um it really is as simple as that so Renfield Rejects wasn't like most um, sort of TV shows that you... The, the way it was filmed was completely new and different and exciting because if you notice, there aren't a lot of cutaways in the Renfield Rejects. It's all filmed in one continuous shot. So we had to rehearse the, the shots quite um, quite extensively. And what you would have is you would have the cameraman, the director, and all of the people, all of the um, crew behind and they would just follow round um, behind the camera and you were moving all in and out. And, you know, some of these, some of these scenes were sort of six to eight pages of dialogue. So they, they were quite long scenes and they were all filmed in one continuous camera shot. But obviously the football's hard to do that. So what we would do, um, let's say that in the script it was, uh, you know, Terry had to run up and score, blast it past Ben Phillips in goal. So that would be, so he'd be like, right, you do that. And, you know, it's, you're, you're playing football, so you can't always get it 100% right. So it might take a few takes or whatever. But And then after that, it would just be like, right, we just need to match footage. So we used to just sort of play a match, really, till the director said cut. And sometimes he'd say, right, I, I need one this team to do sort of, you know, let them be on top. Or it would be, I need this team to be on top and I need him to score a goal. Um, so we, it was kind of scripted, but a lot of the time it was just, you know, just play so we can get some match shots. Um, but obviously some of it had to be, to, to go with the storyline, some of it had to be set up. So that's that's how it was. It always looked spontaneous. And obviously that show as well was quite ahead of its time because um, I believe your character, I've seen every episode, by the way, I'm, I'm a massive fan. Um, yeah, uh, your your character often, and, and certainly Basil as well, um, Bill, your father, uh, used to talk about how girls couldn't play football. And yet there, there it was, you know, in, in the show, bright as day, girls could play football. That was always very ahead of time for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think the, the women's side of football was just on the up at that time. We had, I think it was the Chelsea ladies team come down one time. They were just phenomenal footballers. I mean, it was, it was a little bit like, you know, we, we had to play against them and, 
you sort of think, oh, I'm going to have to take it easy because it's a girl. I tell you what, these these girls were strong. Um, and it really sort of opened my eyes to the women's game. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that sort of classic, it, it's the bully thing, isn't it? It's um, me, dad and I um, in, in the show were bullies. And it was always, yeah, you know, girls can't play football. And of course, they had Robin Walker and then um, uh, Lucy Punch's character. What was her name? Sue. And then uh, Megan, um, who was the, the third girl. And obviously, they could all play football and they were really good. And that was the whole thing. It was always sort of egg on our faces, which was, uh, yeah, I suppose it was a little ahead of its time. You know, it was it, it was great. Well, definitely. I, I think it, it still stands up. And of course, Lucy uh, in particular has gone on to great success. Yeah, wonderful. She's 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 a truly wonderful actress, actor, I should say. Sorry. And it's uh, I just I love to see um People we've worked with in the past do really well for themselves. You've got James Corden, of course, who was a, one of my sidekicks in one of the episodes. He's, he's gone on to a tremendous success. But Lucy Punch is a, is a real talent. Um, Martin Delaney, um, who has, has made a really decent career out for, uh, for himself. Um, and he was a really hard worker. And so he deserves, he deserves everything he's, he's, he's got, really. Matthew Leach has done really well. Roger Davis has done really well. Um, some, some really good stories that have come out of it. It's fantastic. Well, definitely. And it, it all springs from this tiny little Nickelodeon show that I believe was one of the first um, for UK, Nickelodeon UK. Yeah, I think it was the first. I think it was the, the, the first English show on Nickelodeon. And it was... I, I remember going into Nickelodeon to do a live web chat. We got... I think it was 10 times the amount of hits that than the when Keenan and Kel, I don't know if you remember that show, Keenan and Kel came into to Nickelodeon in London and, and we got sort of 10 times the amount of hits that they got, and, which was really surprising to me. I just, I don't think at the time I ever grasped just how big the show was. Um, it was only sort of years after when we, you know, still getting recognised sort of 10 years after and, oh, there goes Terry Stoke, you know, and you just think, bloody hell, this really must have made a, a, a tremendous Im- impact, you know. It was, it was phenomenal, really was fantastic. You became something of a regular a bit later on, didn't you? Yeah, so in the first series I had four episodes and then I had a, a, a meeting with Stephen Baylor, who's the executive producer and director, and he said he really liked what I was doing and he wanted to put me in more episodes. And I think in the second series I had like seven. And then in the third series it went up to sort of eight or nine. And in the fourth series I think I was in pretty much every episode and had some of my own episodes as well. Because... The feedback for Terry Stoker and Basil was really good. There was even talk at one point of doing a spin-off show, which obviously never materialised. But um, I think the the characters just got bigger and bigger because they they were just comical and funny. And and my my performance um, when the, the on the first series, I was I was so nervous because I'd never I'd done a few tiny little TV appearances, but never anything like that. And I was really nervous. And I think I went into it with all the sort of with the wrong. Um, attitude i was I've, I've come straight out of the brit school and i had this i've been studying like method acting and so i came into it like thinking i was like robert de niro and it you know it's just not what it was after what, what they were after and i remember saying um stephen t- said to me once he went right if you just look over there and then turn around to the camera and i was like yeah but what am i looking at stephen why am i why am i looking at that he went who do you think you are de niro and that kind of sort of brought me back down to earth with a crash and I realised what we were trying to make and after that I just let loose a little bit and in the second series I just I ramped up the sort of um, the comedy factor and it just got more and more and in the, if you look at my performance in the full series to the first he's like chalk and cheeks completely different character um, which just over time I just became way more comfortable with the character and you know I could just sort of slip in and out of him in, in an instant so 
that's uh, I think that's why I got more and more episodes as, as, as the series went on. And I think that's something that you share with your, your co-star Bill, because when I spoke to him, he seems to be able to snap in and out of that character so quickly. Yeah, he's, he, he always could. He's, 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 got, he's a little bit of a genius, is our Bill. He had so many talents. Like, he had this really bizarre talent that he could speak backwards. So I can't remember if it was... Yeah, he could like spell words backwards really, really quickly. And I think he had a part in a show one time and he was called like the backwards man or something. He, he had all these really weird talents. And we filmed some episodes in Sardinia in the, in the full series. And he couldn't speak Italian when he, when we went there, we went there for two weeks. By the time we left, he was almost fluent in, in Italian. So yeah, he's just an incredible guy who seems to have these sort of genius, this genius about him. He really is. He's brilliant. Yes, you hit on something there because uh, later on in the series, you started to have a lot more kind of fantasy episodes, didn't you? Yeah, there was, I think, well, I, I, I can't remember if I had any episodes in the third series. Yes, I did. I think, oh, I, I, do you know what? I can't remember. Um, but I know that I had some, some episodes where I think there was one where I was um, trying to befriend all of the rejects to get them back for some reason and I had to keep getting into all these different characters and, and, and stuff like that. But there was, there was just so, there were so many episodes. Um, my son, my son absolutely loves them. I've got more tapes on Sky Plus and he, when I'm watching them, it just brings back all the memories. And I, I forget sometimes about the, the episodes that we did, you know, there were so many um, over a four, four year period. So it's hard to remember them all, but um no, they were, they, they were all great. They really were. It's brilliant. Yes. I mean, there, there were 13 episodes a series, um, which is quite yeah. a lot for a British series because normally there's about six episodes to a series. Yeah, there was. I think there were two or three writers. There was a, a oh, forgive me, it was a guy called Patrick and a man called Chris. They were they were the the two main writers, I think, and they come up with some some really great stuff. And of course, it was. Um, I think what was great about it as well is we were allowed a little bit of artistic freedom. So sometimes we we would just go off the script. If you didn't think your character would quite say it like that, then we were allowed to just change it and, and alter alter things um, slightly. Um, but in general, the scripts were, were were gold dust. You know, they were really really good. There was a lot of very funny banter between you and Bill, wasn't there? Yeah, um, I think especially in the later episodes, um, I played on him being a bit, you know, the, the sort of thickness of the character. He was he was not very clever whereas Bill was clever um, and we just started to banter between each other and bounce off of each other using that. I think in one episode he talks about Vivaldi, the um, famous composer, and I, I, I thought he was a footballer or something like that, you know, just general sort of him saying these things. And then, you know, so it was, it was just easy to, to, to bounce off each other because our characters were, although they were sort of, they came from the same sort of area as in the sort of bully, the hard man thing, they were in sort of, uh, intelligence-wise, um, chalk and cheese. Like, couldn't be more further from further apart, you know. No, that's right. What's your kind of lasting memory from that time? My lasting memory, it, it simply was, if 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 not the best, one of the one of the best times of my life. Every, all four years of shooting that show were just full of amazing memories. Just you know, from from the actual filming of the show to the it's, you know, to just living with the guys and just having a laugh every minute, um, to playing cricket in the green room. <laughs> every single part of it was fantastic. I don't remember a bad part. Going to Sardinia to film the the three episodes we did out there, it was just an adventure. Um, and we, we, we 
sort of took the ball by the horns and just went for it. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Great memories, great, great cast. Uh, and the crew were great as well. Every, everything about it was just brilliant from beginning to end. It was just fabulous. What are you up to these days? So these days I do, so I, I own a gardening company, believe it or not, um, which was, it was always a passion of mine. And um, I decided to start a gardening company, but I also do some writing as well. I dipped my toe back into the acting world a few years back um, and I did a short short film horror for, for, for a friend of mine. Um, I did a few pilots for a few things and I have decided, before just before this lockdown happened, um, I had decided, I, I got in, I, I, I went to the Brit School in Croydon and I'm still friendly with the, uh, the principal there, Stuart Walden, who is, is just a wonderful man. And he asked me to go back and be in, the year 13 um, production of uh, Sweet Charity, which I said, absolutely, I'll I'll do. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it because of the lockdown. But we've been talking and he wants to direct me in something and I want to get back into acting because that is really where my passion lies. My my company that I've got, the gardening company, is sort of running itself now. So watch out in the near future because I'm um, I'm, I'm going to get back into it, I think. So we'll watch this space, I guess. Well, that's extremely exciting. And um, I asked this question to Bill. What would your character be doing now if it's 20 years on? And, uh, uh, you know, what, what would he be doing? Believe it or not, right, I, when I was practicing my writing, I wrote an episode of Renfrew Rejects, a brand new episode where we're all older, we've all got children and stuff like this. And what happened in the episode was they were going to close down Renfrew's um, park and the, the sort of rejects, it was, I think, Matthew Leach's character, Stuart Jackson, his son was playing for the Renfrew rejects, but they were going to close down the Renfrew park. So he got all of the Renfrew rejects together to try and save the park, but they needed my influence because it was my dad's um, granddad or, so, or my dad's company um, that were going to close down and build on the, on, on the park. And in the script, Terry is a dance teacher and the the, the, the scene that um, where the Rimford Rejects go to find him was he's in a leotard um, with a sort of ballet tutu on and he's teaching ballet to little children and that's so that's where I saw um, Terry being in this day and age that he's gone sort of full circle you know he couldn't he sort of had a breakdown after the Rimford Rejects kept beating him and he's he sort of you know, left his dad and, and he's found his true passion, which which was ballet. I thought that'd be really funny. So I guess that's what he'd be doing now. <laughs> that is perfect, isn't it? And I'm sure there are many people out there that hopes that one day that will be- come to uh, fruition. Well, it's something I was thinking about and I spoke to another guy and it's something, I, I mean, I don't even know the sort of mechanics behind it. I don't know if we would get the rights to do it or, or whatever, but I think there's, um, I think there's, there's, there's something still there. It feels like it might be a, a bit of unfinished business and whether we could get all the sort of cast back together or not, I don't know, but it's something I've been thinking about and who knows once maybe, you know, when I get a, sp- a bit of spare time in the next few months, maybe I'll, I'll sit down and try and get some of the cast together and maybe write something. Who knows? Well, fantastic. I wish you the, the best of luck with that and uh, obviously your future acting opportunities. And thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Actor Tom Weller talking to me, Jamie Dyer, about his role as Terry Stoker on The Renford Rejects. I don't know about anyone else, but I have loved reminiscing about The Renford Rejects today. And I realise that there is so much to cover in one single subject. And this is the thing with this podcast. It's brand new. Rules haven't really been set yet. But if you've been listening today and we haven't covered an area that you're interested in, 
then don't worry. We will return to the subject at a later date if the interest is there. So if any other cast members or anyone that worked on the show, um, the Renford Rejects, or, or anything else for that matter, they are more than welcome to come on and talk about that and whatever else um, they have done since as well. You know, because this is a celebration of two decades of entertainment um, in in Britain, as it were. And the thing about the Renford Rejects is it's the it was the first um, show for Nickelodeon UK. And I, uh, I recently have been watching through those episodes and I've loved it. I've loved revisiting a lot of those. I feel like I've seen them yesterday, but a lot of the episodes that we've talked about, uh, the one with the 1966 um, football team in it, the one with um, GM Franco Zola and Martin Keown, where Bill Homewood looks into Martin Keown's eyes and says, you've gone soft, lad. You know, it's it's just wonderful. It's wonderful um, stuff. And certainly, I have always been a fan of the rejects. And I said earlier that they shaped my life. They have, because Vinny, um, the, the guy that walked around with the camera all the time, and, and wanted to be a commentator in the sports world. I didn't want to be in the sports world, but I wanted to be in media. And I think it was probably him being the first example that I ever saw of, of a guy wanting to get into media on TV. So, yeah, thank you, Vinny and, and Roger Davies, for bringing that to life. And on that similar subject, Eddie McAvoy, who ran Graceland's Cafe, was a massive... Elvis fan and loved like 50s rock and roll stuff well aside from 90s and noughties I also write reviews of 1950s rock and roll and rockabilly records so I maybe that started there um you know that that's just a couple of examples that spring to my mind of how they shaped my life what about you um have they shaped your life in any way uh, maybe seeing an actor guest on the show uh, ignited your interest, perhaps uh, some storyline or whatever put you in mind of something that perhaps you wouldn't have seen before. I mean, they did lots of things. They did a ballet episode, didn't they? Uh, they did a, a swimming thing as well, I think, at some point. Maybe seeing that encouraged you to get into that. Um, do let me know. I'll give you all the details in just a moment. But once again, I'd like to say I have absolutely loved having um bill and tom on the show to discuss the renford rejects and lots of other things as well and certainly i hope over the next few weeks um through various roundtables interviews and just general analysis you will enjoy the show as much as i've had making it because i've been working on this for a couple of months now and we really um we really appear to have hit a format, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But on the Renford Rejects, we will return to this subject, hopefully, at a later date. But for the first time ever, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening to the 90s and Noughties UK podcast, a podcast focusing on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. 
If you like the podcast and would like to hear more, please rate, comment and subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. So whether you're iTunes, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, let us know what you think and um, tune in for another episode a week from this episode being released so seven days yes and if you'd like to get in contact in the meantime you can email 90s and noughties at outlook.com tweet 90s and noughties uk on twitter or go to the facebook page which is just simply 90s and noughties uk this is jamie dyer saying see you on the next episode bye bye